this evening, if I may, I would like to uh, give a little commentary on one or two of the poems of uh, Rumi. And uh, I've been a relatively recent uh, uh, convert to the poetry of Rumi. Sharda and a number of other friends have, uh, for a long time, have great love and appreciation of his poetry. And when I, I used to re read it, I felt it was just a bit too ecstatic. And, uh, <laughs> um, but people kept on sending me um, copies of Rumi's poetry, and then I received as a um, Christmas uh, present from Mark and Shard, a lovely uh, volume of the poems. And I've um, been converted. So, for those of you who um, don't know anything about Rumi, I'll, if I may, just read a little bit of the introduction and then turn to uh, uh, one or two of the poems. So, uh, it says in the introduction here that um, Jalaluddin Rumi was born in Balkha, in what is now Afghanistan, on September the 30th in the year 1207. And when he was a young um, man, his family fled because of the threat of a Mongol in invasion. And after much travelling, they settled in Turkey. Uh, Rumi um, means the Roman, um, that is, from Roman Anatolia. And Rumi, it says, followed in the line of his father Ness and ancestors, as, is, of course, is very, very common in the East, where one goes from one generation uh, of fathers to the next in a particular uh, role of whatever, and function or work, whatever it might be. And I can well remember in the late 1960s um, traveling up through northern uh, Thailand through to the hills there which border Burma and staying um, in village with the Mao people and other tribes. And the head of the village, which 55 generations previously, the people had traveled down from Yunnan, which is in southern China, through Burma and then settled in these uh, hills in the far, far north of Thailand. And the head of the village could remember um, the name of the 55 generations uh, from his father, his father's father, his father's father, and the years all the way back from the time they departed from the Yunnan, and part of the responsibility uh, in the village. It says here that Rumi followed in the line of his father and his ancestors, who were scholars, theologians, and jurists. Um, under the, until the age of 37, he seems to have been a conventional teacher under the royal patronage. Then he met a wandering dervish named Shams of Tabriz. What I had thought of before as God, I met today in a person, Rumi said. This recognition and acknowledgement of Shams, it says, strengthened and galvanized his belief. His poetry is filled with a, a longing for to be the friend, capital F, the close spiritual presence he first sure, saw in this man Shams of uh, Tabriz. And since then, his poetry has been 
translated into various uh, languages and has touched many people deeply, particularly those who have much love uh, of uh, meditative experiences and that journey deep into the heart. And uh, Rumi is a mirror and a reflection of that. So in this poem is about uh, eight or ten verses. If I may, I'll take uh, some of them. And the title of the poem is Now That I Know How It Is. I'm here by the gate. Maybe you'll throw open a door and call. I'm drenched with being here, rambling drunk. Things dissolve around me, but I'm still sitting here. One clap in the emptiness of space. New centuries begin, laughter, a rose, a wise loveliness, the sun coming out brilliantly on horseback. All this day we'll be close, drinking and joking, close to your face. Whenever I say your face, my soul jumps out of its skin. Not unusual in uh, spiritual poetry with a devotional character uh, to it, to use it in the language of the personal, something obviously a contrast to the forms of language that we have been using here uh, over the days. And he says, I'm here by the gate. Maybe you'll throw open a door and call. I'm drunk, I'm sorry, I'm drenched with being here. If you take some experiences in inner life, cont contemplative life, and in that, just sitting and, and being, sometimes the personal storylines and all the accumulations that go with it tend and can quite drop, drop away. And the dropping away of all of that is as though one's whole personal existence, what you and I have done and where we have been and who we are and how we think and know ourselves, is all rather secondary. And in its, in its secondary uh, things, all the things around me and all the things I'm involved in and kind of make up my life, they dissolve. And there's a different kind of feeling and, and sense about things. And one is still sitting here. One looks as ordinary and as everyday as one did at any other time. But there's a mystery about things. Mystery which says, I'm drunk with being here. And it doesn't ha have anything to do with our age or our size or our gender or our beliefs or our nationality or all of those things which make, make us up. It's just somehow being here and finding ourselves in existence on this earth and all that's extraordinary about it and which doesn't, as I say, have anything to do with the particular content of our life. It's just being here. And those moments, as Rumi's indicating and pointing out, really matter a great deal. They speak of something transpersonal. And you and I in the hubbub of our practicalities of our day-to-day -day life can lose sense of that and in the forgetfulness of that we forget that those 
transpersonal experiences, trans story, ex personal story experiences, have an extraordinary impact on one's personal life. And we might say, if we've had those experiences in the, in the past, yes, I had those experiences, I was in the mountains, I was in, in, the, in, the, in the desert, I was walking along one day uh, to work in the middle of the city, and I just felt this extraordinary throb of existence, the whole pulse of life in its vastness and, it, and in its expansiveness. But I can't see that those experiences, what relationship they have to my everyday matters and my everyday issues. But certainly a feature and a characteristic of those who do have access spontaneously or cultivated to those transpersonal experiences can serve as a terrific resource to just putting the ordinariness of our everyday life into a perspective. We see that every, our everyday life doesn't fit, as we were hearing earlier, into to being a kind of small self-contained unit, but it actually fits into something much bigger. And Rumi continues, one clap in the emptiness of space, new centuries begin. Laughter, a rose, a wise loveliness, the sun coming out brilliantly on horseback. All this day will be close, drinking and joking, close to your face. Whenever I say your face, my soul jumps out of its skin. Of course, he may be referring to this dervish that he met, who senses or represents, but here, close to your face, is close to truth, close to the original face of existence, close to that expansiveness and openness which is there before our mind moves, before the thought arises, before the interpretations and the judgments uh, begin. And sometimes, as I say, in that awareness, then the ordinary in the everyday has a kind of luminosity to it. And there are, there are those moments, as he says, where new centuries begin. One clap in the emptiness of space. Laughter, a rose. On horseback, drinking, joking. And all of those things stand out in their own kind of brightness and freshness. Why? Not trapped in the conditioning. Not caught, caught up in a self-enclosed existence. And so, therefore, that brightening from within not only sheds light and illuminates our own existence, but it does it for the rose and for the horse, for the emptiness of space, for new centuries, for the new day, the new, new millennium. Then he goes on, Is there some other roof somewhere? Any name other than yours? Any glass of wine other than this? You bring me so perfectly. If I find my life, I'll never let go, holding and twisting the cloth of your coat, as in that dream when I saw you. And one wonders, what might Rumi be speaking of here? What, what is he referring? Is there some other roof somewhere? Any name other than yours? Any glass of wine other than this? You bring me so perfectly. If I find my life, I'll never let go, holding and twisting the cloth of your coat as in that dream when I saw you. 
we put it into the, the Dharma uh, language, we put it into the language of, of Jesus that uh, Rumi uh, uh, refers to in his other poetry. It's a, it's a language of liberation. Is there any other name than yours? Or as Jesus says, first find the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. So when there is a sense of, a leaning towards, a connection uh, with, then that takes a priority. No other name, no other priority, no other interest. That's your central interest. Could there be any other glass of wine than this? Could anything be so uh, uh, beautiful and uh, uh, precious as, as this which you bring me so perfectly? And that's the teachings in that discovery, in that finding of illumination. One can't ask for anything more, he says in his own language. If I find my life, if I discover all of this, I'll never let go of the cloth of your coat. I'll never want to move away from that illumination. I'll never, I'll never want to shift away from that uh, freedom which opens up everything everywhere. He says, then he goes back to the, the relative world. By this gate kings are waiting with me, your eyes, I'm lost remembering your eyes. Look at us out here moaning with our shirts ripped open. Anyone seeing your face and not obsessed with the sight is cold as a rock on the ground. What further curse could I put on him? And in a potent uh, sea of, of language, it's in a way, to put it in the, the Buddha Dharma language, if we listen to the teachings of uh, freedom, the teachings of illumination, the teachings of natural joy, um, boundless, unstoppable friendship towards uh, existence, and we take no interest in it. He says, we're as cold as a rock in the ground. What further curse could I put on him? What could be worse than that exposure and then dismissing it? And then he says, in the personal language again, what's worse than having no word from you? Don't waste your life with those who don't see you. Stay with us. We're now talking of the ultimate coming to our, our existence. We're each running across the beach, torn loose from friends, making friends with the sea. One flood moves in its sleep, one's confused out of its channel. One says, all praise to God, another, no strength but yours. What's worse than having no word from you? And there are a number of you, of course, in the hall here, who know that very, very well, in which there have been times of depth, depth of meditation, depth of exploration, depth of experience, depth of something which is vast, profound and immeasurable. One's felt the touch of it. And then time goes by and we're kind of 
thrown back into the ordinary in the everyday in our life and the years are slipping by he says what's worse than having no word from you what could be worse than having tasted of and having a sense of even if it's just in the possibility or in the direct experience and then nothing after that complete separation forgetfulness getting lost so as, as he says stay with us speaking in personal language of the ultimate truth stay with us we're each running across the beach torn loose from friends making friends with the sea and teachings of breaking loose inwardly at times it may be for some it's inwardly and and outwardly making friends with existence making friends uh, with the with the sea so that something vast like the ocean stays with us and it would be a pity to subjugate uh, our life into confusion he says you are sunlight come as wagon loads of presents and free wine for the poor a, ro <coughs> a rose looks up and calyx rips open the loop player with quick finger sees your hands and stops and closes her eyes who is luckiest in this whole orchestra the reed its mouth touches your lips to learn music all reeds sugarcane especially think only of this chance they sway in the cane breaks free in the many ways they dance in our appreciation and acknowledgement of selflessness in life there's a kind of nat fairly natural attribute and it shows itself in, in, in many ways in the field of creativity very very noticeably and in other ways too and we ask where does this come from and there's a hesitation in deep and profound things of life to say, well, this has come from me. I produce this. And sometimes we're wordless. And we say, well, I, this which has come, I don't know where it's come from. We might say, I'm just a channel for this. We might say, it's come uh, through me, or I'm just a vehicle, or I'm just an uh, instrument, or whatever. And some of those things which human beings have shared and have communicated uh, with each other <coughs> in creativity through deep religious experience through the depths of <coughs> awareness there is often a very strong natural reluctance to make a claim it's come from me that what that the I the self knows its great limitations knows that there are things which are much as it were, bigger than itself, or bigger than ourself. And therefore, there's a hesitation to, to claim origin. And for some, it's in the form of God speaking th through me, something passing through me, something flowing through me. For others, it will, will, will be, it's born out of the tradition, born, born out of successive generations and for others it will speak of it just coming 
out of awareness of circumstances. Not I, not me, not myself. Just awareness revealing what, what's to be revealed. And he says of all of this, You, you are sunlight, come as light wagon loads of presents, and free wine for the poor. The rose looks up and the calyx rips open. The lute player with quick fingers sees your hands and stops and closes her eyes. Who is luckiest in this whole orchestra? The reed its mouth touches your lips to learn music. All reeds, sugarcane especially, think only of this chance. They sway in the cane breaks, free in the many ways they dance. Sometimes in this sense of expansiveness, sometimes the key to that can be that choiceless awareness which has been spoken about in which you and I are not grasping and defining, confining objects. And there's a genuine sense of openness towards existence. And in that, in that openness and in that receptivity, we see they sway the things of life in the cane breaks, free in the many ways they dance. And we begin to sense and know and love and touch the extraordinary freedom of existence. Despite what we see, despite what we know, yet something vast shows the freedom of existence. Without you, liberation, freedom, illumination, God, however we may speak of, without you, the instruments would die. One sits close beside you, Another takes a long kiss. The tambourine begs, touch my skin so I can be myself. Let me feel you enter into each limb, bone by bone. That what died last night can be whole today. And in this language of poetry and, and in its expression of it here, all, if you and I were to take things in life which we um, enjoy and appreciate, things which we say are mine, whatever it might be, and which we have had an association with, maybe a person, maybe a creature, maybe plants, it may be material things or whatever. And we know that in anything which we associate as being uh, mine also has little risk for us. The mind can become lost, can dissolve, can break, can change. It can become not mine. In human beings we have a, a task and, under, and an undertaking in life to watch that movement very carefully to understand that movement and those shifts that go on in, in the interaction of things between what is mine and now is not mine. And how, what, how does that affect the way we feel, the way we think? Could it be that we could have a relationship to that which we call mine which is not bound up with Mine is pleasure, 
and not mine, not having, is pain. Could the relationship be that one can have a sense of mine in life, my body, my life, my existence, my friends, my work, my, my items or whatever, and even though mine will become not mine, mine, whatever, will cease, will pass out. But it's not that pleasure is inviting the pain in the shift from mine to not mine. That we actually take the time and trouble, as is indicated here, to actually regularly, just to look at very, very carefully those things in life which fall into the my category. Some of us here are parents. We say, oh, my, my, my daughter, my son. And then we, we remember what the poets have said. We, we, we remember the lines of Gibran in the prophet about the relationship to children that they are not ours. They spend some time with us and our children move on. And we remember to be very, very watchful about claiming over. And we understand that relationship in a different way. And therefore we do regularly, as I do and I hope others here do, just look and just check in quite regularly is there any area where there is mine at work? Just to acknowledge the way of life, the unfoldment of life, the movement and expression of life, and to be more respectful to that than to our own personal wishes of the continuity of mine. And so Rumi says, Without you, without that greater awareness, without that vaster appreciation, without you the instruments would die. One sits close beside you. We sit close to that revelation of awareness about I and my. One sits close beside you. Another takes a long ki kiss. The tambourine begs, touch my skin so I can be myself. And isn't it something that when there is this my and this holding that goes on, I'm sure we have to, to notice with each other that when we're with that, that person can't be herself, can't be himself. The tambourine begs, touch my skin so I can be myself. That's all just to touch life, so it can be itself. But not to hold it, not to take it, not to grab it in a holding way in the language of mine. Thus, let me feel you enter into each limb, bone by bone, that what died last night can be whole today. And in our reflections, in the turning of the attention to something which was painful, difficult, something which died in us towards another human being, towards a circumstance, towards a place, or whatever, 
towards a loved one, something which died in us last night can be whole today. Something about our awareness and our, and our receptivity can bring that wholeness through. But it might well be, as I said, that you and I need to remember, as Rumi indicates there, need to remember to bring awareness and attention to those things that matter. And really look again without the force of the old conditioning. Why live some soberer way and feel you ebbing out? I won't do it. Either give me enough wine or leave me alone. Now that I know how it is to be with you in a, con in a constant conversation. Concluding lines. Why live some soberer way and feel you ebbing out? I won't do it. Either give me enough wine or leave me alone. Now that I know how it is to be with you in a constant conversation. This is the voice of Dharma friends in poetic form if I ever heard. Why live some sober way and feel you ebbing out? I won't do it. <laughs> in the impact of these things which we're speaking of in its uh, vast or ultimate or immeasurable uh, sense, the coming and the going close to can and does vary considerably to the quality of our life in and, and our experience with it. And the quality of experience at times means that we can seem very, very far from things which we perhaps have felt much closer to on the days of the retreat. And then the movement goes on and then we can seem near and far and going backwards and forwards. And we've said, as one will say, and as uh, Rumi's almost arguing with this difficulty, saying, either give me enough wine or leave me alone. And it's the same voice that comes out of the heart of, of, the, of the meditator as well. Sometimes, as I say, feeling close to, not getting enough nourishment from, feeling a distant distance from, and then having almost like a curse, the experience of something profound and deep, seeming quite distant from the everyday experience of one's everyday life. Either give me enough wine or leave me alone, now that I know how it is to be with you in a, in a constant conversation. And that tends to be how it is. One sense something immeasurable, one thinks about it, talks about it, dwells on it, wonders how it's all applicable into the daily life uh, uh, circumstance. Sometimes one rebels about it, leave me alone. I wish I'd never heard of deep things of life. My life was much easier when I believed that existence was just for producing and consuming. Now I have a sense of something else. Well, if, it, if I have, give me enough of it or leave me alone altogether. <laughs> and this 
Rumi expresses the, the frustration and the difficulty. And why is it? Because in various ways we are in constant conversation with that illumination. It's that close to us. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings be touched by the ultimate truth of things. May all beings know that rich wine of abiding. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.